Welcome to the Die Hard Hoops podcast, special episode post-NBA championship as we revisit some of our predictions and we overview some of our main big idea thoughts on the Warriors of 2022 winning their fourth title in six trips in the past eight years. And I, I don't know if you'd call this a dynasty, but it's the next closest thing. So uh, first and foremost, we have to revisit our predictions. I will give you some thoughts on what we thought in the series in general. I was wrong. I could start out podcast Taylor saying, listen, I was wrong. You picked Celtics in six. You picked Warriors in six. I thought that the athleticism, the defense, and the multiple scoring options by the Celtics were going to be too much for the Warriors team. I was looking pretty sure of that after three games with the Celtics being up two games one. And then it was like all of those things that I had stated in that podcast regarding my predictions, they all went away as far as uh, how the Celtics played those last three games. Yeah, I um the thing that I had realized and like you'd said your your prediction seemed like it was going to come to fruition early early in that series and I was I was worried. I was thinking all right, the the Warriors might still win this series but there's no way they're going to win it in 6. It just didn't seem like the Warriors would be able to go in to Boston and win in the way that they that they ended up doing. Um but what gave me, I guess, you know, you outlined why you had picked the Celtics in six. So I'll outline a few of the reasons why I picked the Warriors. And watching the Celtics, when things were going good for them, you know, defensively, they were just an absolute juggernaut to end the season. It looked like they had this defensive flexibility that would put them in a position to be able to to hold the Warriors in a way that maybe other teams couldn't. Um, so when it was going well. It was going really, really well. You're like, this is the stuff that champions are made of. This is an all-time defense. They have the defensive player of the year. And there were games where you were looking, you're like, that's the defensive player of the year. And he almost occasionally looks like the third or fourth best defender on the team, depending on how locked in uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are. Horford is defending on these switches and looking amazing. Um, but for me, the Warriors, and they've kind of had this characteristic, I think, throughout this little mini dynasty of theirs, is that, one, things don't go wrong for them for very long. When they have droughts, they're pretty short. Or their droughts are nothing compared to to other teams that have struggles. And so that's something that they've really been able to do is limit the time that they're struggling. And then just in general, their struggles don't look the same as other teams struggles do. So they, they very rarely will have a, a long stretch and not being able to score or a poor quarter for them might still include a whole lot of points. And um, then of course they had this experience that they were able to draw from in their big three with Draymond clay and Steph started to look a little bit more like they were back to normal. And at least Draymond did and Steph did and Draymond really struggled in the beginning of that series, but mm-hmm. clay I felt like was, was coming on. And then he did one of the rare things that was the opposite of what a lot of the other Celtics players did, which was come on, 
and improved throughout the series as opposed to the other guys that just kind of faded away, particularly Jason Tatum. But those are some of the things I was thinking of is like, you know, they they've been here before. And when things go bad, it's still not as bad as when things go bad for other teams. So those were just some of the things I hung on to. You know, I, I was rooting for the Warriors the whole time. I just didn't know if they could pull it off. And so making that prediction, I was looking at the previous series in both sides, both conferences. And I'm, I'm saying this just looks like one of those things where the Celtics are able to have just one of those years where you look through and like, I mean, they made Kevin Durant look just look more puzzled playing the game that I've ever seen him. Like when they played Kevin Durant, he was like losing the ball. He was, you know, taking shots that, you know, were out of his rhythm. And then they go and they, and they beat a Milwaukee team that although they didn't weren't at full strength because of Chris Middleton, I think they would have at least gone to the finals if Chris Middleton was healthy. Um, they, they beat Giannis, who's, you know, the biggest force, physical force in the league. Uh, and then they beat the number one team in, in the Eastern Conference being the Heat. And I was like, man, this is just, I mean, every series that they've won has been a legit win. And watching the Warriors go through the Western Conference, I felt like the teams that the Warriors were beating had maybe a little, they had some more holes in their team. It seemed like, at least for me, compared to the teams that the Celtics were rolling through. And uh, so with that combined about all the things that we've talked about, and I, I, I didn't give enough credit to the championship pedigree. That was stupid on my part. Like I should know better. Like you just, you got to give at least one win in a series, probably to a team that's been there multiple times. And you got to give another win in a series when one team has the best player, at least one win, right? Who has the best player, which is Steph Curry, obviously. Um, And so I I just underestimated those couple things combined with the fact that the Warriors have the only offense like them in the NBA. And no matter how good your defense is, Boston being the number one ranked defense in the league heading into the finals, there's nothing like the Warriors offense. The ability to shoot, stretch the floor, uh, have multiple players that can not only create, but create with the pass. Uh, Just a very unique system with, you know, there were times where I was worried, you got Looney, you got Draymond, two non-scorers out there at the same time. Um, but because Looney has mastered his role and Draymond has mastered his role as well as having just unbelievable court vision as a passer, um, they still have the ability to hurt you, even if there's only three guys that can really even get you a bucket out there. And um, <clears throat> it would be wrong if we didn't talk about Andrew Wiggins. Like this guy put them over the top. I mean, you think of the wings that they've had in their championship run. Harrison Barnes had an amazing series in the finals. Andre Iguodala, I'm talking back in 2016, made some huge plays. Obviously, they get Kevin Durant for two more titles and his role on the team to just go get a bucket as well as play within the offense. But I didn't see Andrew Wiggins becoming this type of player. I thought he would be uh, an eventual trade. I thought that they would end up fitting 
with maybe more of a, a big to complement the perimeter play of Thompson and Curry. And he blossomed into one of the most versatile players in the league of absolutely playing lockdown defense on guys that can absolutely score in a variety of ways. And Tatum really, really nullified Tatum as far as his, he wasn't getting to the rim. He was shooting a, a ton of, you know, my biggest pet peeves with him, shooting a bunch of deep twos, settling, not attacking the rim. And you give Wiggins a lot of credit for that because Tatum was able to get to his spots and knock down shots in the previous three series. Plus, he's able to get you 20 or more. I mean, th- th- this shows not only the culture in the system that the Warriors have in place, the types of teammates that they have in place, especially those big three of Draymond, Clay, and Steph, the coaching staff. It shows the when you have a unique talent like Steph Curry and you're able to build around him, you can plug a caliber player that can contribute in a couple different ways. And they have the opportunity to learn, grow and blossom into something that we haven't seen before. And we saw that with Harrison Barnes on a lower level. We saw that with Kevin Durant um, playing the best basketball of his career when he played for the Warriors. And now you see that with another guy like Wiggins. So it's a credit to Wiggins to be able to do that. And it's a credit to Curry and everybody else to put him in a position to be the best that he can be. I think that might be the biggest compliment to Steph Curry and his legacy and his career is that you can take a player, whether they're as great as Kevin Durant or a player like a Wiggins or a Harrison Barnes, plug them in and Steph Curry is still able to be great while greatness is amplified in another player. You do not see that in hardly anybody in the league. Yeah, and I think we're going to have another uh, episode where we detail, talk specifically about Steph Curry and where maybe he is on this on this uh, mountaintop of uh, the greatest players of all time and, and just the impact that is. I got some big thoughts on that. Yeah, that is that is new championship um, in his first finals MVP and, this and where that moves him. Big time. Definitely. Um, but you're exactly right about the Wiggins point is that here's a guy who uh, physically – could match up with Jason Tatum and he used every one of his physical gifts to uh, nullify Tatum, you know, with his, with his hard defense, but then was able to hit timely shots and still like that you forget it. But here was a guy who was a, a number one pick and it wasn't really widely disputed. Like there weren't a ton of people, maybe a few people really liked Jabari Parker's game. Um, if Embiid had been healthy, you know, maybe he would have went, Number one, but this was a guy that was picked because he has all world athleticism. You knew he was going to get stronger and is like six, eight. He's, he's Tatum's size. He's long, long. And so these physical gifts that he has, and then he's being, he has the benefit of being on a team and put into a role where he can become more of a star in that role. And so the warriors say, Hey, we're going to bring you in and you're going to have to do a little less overall, but you're going to do, you're going to, you're going to look better and you're going to be able to do more within this limited role and really be able to be a star in your role. That's said all the time. And that's exactly what he was able to do. And then the things that I mentioned 
at the beginning and what the Celtics would need to do, what Tatum would need to do specifically if he's going to be the best player. And I would, I think after this series, like he still is the Celtics best player, but Jalen Brown overall played, I think a, a little bit better in the finals right? and seemed a little like he was taking more initiative offensively. Like when things were breaking down, Jalen Brown was going to be the guy that was willing to take and make a shot. And I said that that is exactly what Tatum needed to do. And it's crazy because he did that all throughout the playoffs. He really was playing up this Kobe Bryant mentality, um, playing really well in the fourth quarters. He took the challenge on of trying to outplay Kevin Durant, which he did. Um, And then to see this kind of, you know, if he got physically tired, that's one thing. But just to, to see it unfold in that way was a little bit surprising. Because you mentioned the fallaway jump shots, um, not putting pressure on the rim. He was losing the ball a lot when he was going up. I mean, Curry stripped him a couple times. And here's a really big physically imposing. Like if you told me Tatum was 6'9", 6'10", it wouldn't surprise me. He just really, really big. Huge shoulders. Huge broad shoulders. He looks like a like a stretched out Lego character with these <laughs> shoulders that just go straight across. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't getting to the rim and that's the thing that you have to, you have to do. And something that as he tries to adopt this Mamba mentality is Kobe. Yes. He shot a lot of fadeaways. He shot a lot of deep twos. He was surgical in those areas. And sometimes it was a little frustrating. Like, dude, you're launching, you know, a couple of shots with your foot on the line. Um, but he was able to, to go to the post. He was able to still apply pressure on the rim and get to the free throw line and shoot at a high clip from the free throw line. And so that was something that was really missing. But I do think that Tatum showed enough in these finals that as a young player um, next year, they're going to be scary good. And if he learned anything from this finals trip, then man, they could be right back here in the same position next year. Uh, they're going to have to go through the bucks. I think the bucks would still be the favorite in the East, but Boston's added a couple of pieces. And if you just look and and say, if, if Tatum can even come back, like, three to 5% better than he was last year, then they're going to be, you know, they're going to be a really, really tough out. Tatum is, you know, people were talking about him being a top five guy in the league. And, you know, if you listen to some other basketball podcasts, you know, I think a lot of them do a good job of saying, you know, at any given point in time, you could pick a different 10 guys to be the top five players in the league. And, you know, there was definitely a month stretch where Tatum was in that, that top five, but, um, when it comes to overall, you're right. There's a couple things that he's, I listen, he's very young and he's ultra talented and he has a ton. Like he, one of the reasons I like watching this game is he's so skilled. You can tell by the way, his jab step, how he rips the basketball in different spots. Um, some of the ways that he pulls up at different angles, taking his jump shot ways that he different ways that he's able to use his footwork or square in the air uh, to get lined up to the rim. Like this guy spends a lot of time working on his craft, which I have so much respect for, but you're right. When you're shooting some of those jump shots, a guy like Tatum with a high release point and being athletic and being six, eight, six, nine, he can get that shot whenever he wants. So why take it when you also have the ability to try some other things first that can be a better option. That's getting to the rim and slashing. That's having a post-up game. And I, what are you talking about? People don't post up anymore. Posting up 
at different times gives you an opportunity to get to the line, as you just talked about. Driving to the basket gives you a chance to get out to the line. So that was the thing about Kobe where he might shoot eight for 24, but he still scored 30 because he made 12 free throws, right? And he shot 12 for 14 from the line or 15 from the line because he was a really good free throw shooter. And that was something that was missing and that those elite all-time level players have the ability to do, still able to get to the line, score in more of a variety of ways. Tatum's perimeter game and arsenal to score is one of the best in the league. But when it comes to the entire package of his ability to break down the defense and score, still needs to continue to get better at driving to the basket, taking contact and finishing uh, possibly a post-up game, adding there to be able to not only post up and just make life a little bit easier, but also be able to draw fouls. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if he adds some of those things as far as getting to the rim and taking contact because he certainly has the build and what seems like the passion for the game to continue to do so. As we talked about physical strengths and stuff, that's something that impressed me so much with Curry this year. I mean, he came back bulked up, strong. Um, I mean, he shot over 40, I think he shot like 43.7% from the three-point line in the finals. Like to put on that amount of muscle mass made him much harder to guard as far as his ability to get to the rim, his ability to get to the free throw line. And he's still the best shooter in the world from the three-point line, taking some of the most difficult shots from three that we've ever seen, knock him down at an elite clip, combined with the fact that he's now breaking people down off the dribble, hitting them 15 feet from the rim, taking that next dribble, getting and ones. Um, This is definitely the best Steph Curry uh, that we've ever seen. And, um, you know, I, I just looking at the Western conference, there's a lot of things that have yet to be made as far as free agency trade, you know, the KD stuff, the Kyrie Irving stuff, but for the most part, the warriors get healthy. If Steph even stays the way he is combined with clay Thompson, having a year under his belt, he's going to be a lot better next year. Clay Thompson. Wiggins being like, whoa, I can do this at the highest level win NBA title. The light switch is clearly switched on for him. Maybe they figure out some additional pieces to strengthen their their bench or at least have some more size coming off the bench. Pool. Pool coming into his own. And they don't even need to necessarily add as much as build on what they have. Like they have James Wiseman still. They have they have Moody. Like they, they have this these young guys on the bench that didn't really even play Wiseman, not at all Kaminga. What if, what if these guys go to being dependable for even 10, 15 minutes a game? What does that do to your depth, the energy level that you're able to have throughout the course of a long season? I mean, this team is scary good. And I think Draymond said they're going to win, you know, three out of the next four. I mean, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I mean, I could, I could clearly see him and, you know, two out of the next four something like that. It would not surprise me, which we're going to do another episode pretty quick here. Um, this takes Steph's legacy and it, it puts him into the top 10 all time. Yeah. I'm really excited to discuss the the details of that and where each of us put him after this performance. But yeah, I, I just want to touch on, that was a, a big thing that was talked about during the entire playoffs is just the the look of his body. Like you could tell he's never going to be a big, like huge, huge muscle bound guy. He's a large man. Um, but 
you could see a noticeable difference in the way that he looks. And he's always been somebody who takes incredible care of his body, but to be 34 years old and he comes back as this new iteration. Like I was looking at photos from their first trip to the finals and he looked like a baby compared like to, a and kid. he wasn't even yeah. that young. I mean, that wasn't even yeah, 10 it was years only ago, six years ago, 2016. So the, the differences and just, yeah, his strength going to the basket, the way that he it's can crazy. take contact big difference. And it's unbelievable because there are players that try to mimic his style of play. So you'll see some, some guys try to take pieces of his game very few of those guys that are mimicking aspects of his game can finish around the rim in the way that he can. And it's just, it's been something that he's gotten so, so good at. And it really leaves the defense wondering like, what, what do we do? Because he can just hesitate off the dribble and scare the pants off the defender and then blow by and, you know, be able to get a little contact from the big, he has the underhand scoop shots. He has the floaters he has these just just great touch around the rim. And so that's that was the most exciting thing to see because those are my favorite types of scores. Like as much as I I really love when Steph gets hot from three and he's just drilling three after three after three. To me as a fan, it's more fun when he also sprinkles in those and one layups, some mid-range, some up and under shots that don't look like they should go in. And so I, f- I found this um this finals just incredibly entertaining and he he reinforced why he's one of my favorite players. And the the last thing I want to say is that after having not never gotten a LeBron versus Kobe finals, I sincerely hope that fans of the NBA within the next couple of years get a Giannis versus Steph Curry mm-hmm. finals because I think that um that as a fan would just be one of the it's two guys that you love to cheer for. It's two very different styles of play. You have the physically imposing and then you have this guy that's trying to make the most of his physical skills that he has. And um, I just think that that would make for such a fun series to watch those teams go back and forth. So I hope that as fans, we get to see that. Oh, maybe next year we'll see it. One funny story. um, You know, before we hit camp season, I always try to, you know, lift some extra weights. Um, I pride myself in being in good shape, you know, throughout the year. Um, But I also need to bulk up because I lose a lot of weight throughout the course of the summer. (laughs) So uh, it's late May and, uh, my wife is like, Steve, you're getting, you're getting pretty big. And, uh, I'm like, yeah, I know. Right. And she's like, no, you used to look more Steph Curry. Now you're looking more Draymond Green. That's <laughs> <laughs> what she said. And I was like, oh, all right, all right, okay. All right. Thanks. Um, it was just quite funny because, uh, Obviously they have two very different, uh, uh, body types, but, uh, she definitely was not saying it as a compliment. Uh, no offense to Draymond. Um, but yeah, that was funny. Well, uh, tune into our next episode. We're going to discuss the, the, uh, shift in the top, I guess, top 10 players of all time. Cause Steven showed his cards a little bit and said that he's got Curry in the top 10. So it would be fun to discuss where in that list he falls and then, uh, maybe debate some of the other positions of some of the all time greats. So thank you for listening. We'll catch you soon. Peace.